podcast starts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third and final of our Now the Podcast Starts series of previews before the Grimfest Festival, which, as you listen to this, hopefully should be about to start uh, online and you should be able to access it anywhere in the UK. Um, it starts on the 7th of October, Wednesday with a really interesting range of movies, many of which are premieres, and I've been lucky enough to interview some of the filmmakers in concert with the lovely Ian Winterton, who invited me to do so. Say hello, Ian. Hello, Ian. I'm hilarious as well. Uh, trademark, trademark hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, so today we're going to bring you three more of those interviews. Again, we've this is the third episode we've done. We're not covering every film in the festival, just a select few, because there really are an amazing amount of films. It's a five-day-long festival. You can either buy tickets for the whole festival, or you can buy tickets to see individual films. We'll put the links in the show notes. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about three films in particular, uh, one of which I've seen, and the other two, Ian will have to tell us all about. But the first movie that we'll talk about is one that we both saw, The Unhealer. Now, Ian, we are not allowed to review this movie, um, as it is embargoed before the festival. However, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say we both had a good time talking to the cast and crew. Well, yes, because uh, they, they put... The only downside is they put way too many people <laughs> into... It was it was also about eight people. Um, well, people kept arriving, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. But um, but it was great fun. And basically, Lance, you you were on with Lance having Henriksen for quite a while before everyone else turned up as well, weren't you? Yeah. Well, uh, my tendency away. is to join the meeting five ten minutes early, just just in case. And he also did, and so did you. So, so yeah, we, yeah. All, we all had a nice chat at so the I think, start. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see how it comes out in the edit because. Lance also did talk a lot, and then, um, and and there was a lot of there was a lot his of line wasn't very good. No, no, there were a lot of people talking. Not, so, so yeah, uh, so so we we have had to edit the um, the interview, and you might not hear everything that Lance had to say, sadly, because I, I think out of everybody in the interview, he had the worst connection. Yeah. So it was not always audible what he was saying. Um, it, yeah. So apologies for the. Uh, for the sound quality, and uh, yeah, we'll do our best with it. Lance's internet, but uh, yes, but um, a lovely team uh, and a, a pretty original movie. It's a pretty original concept for the movie Unhealer. Yeah. Um, how, how would you describe the plot of Unhealer, um, Ian? It is um, it's a botched faith healing bestows supernatural shame and powers on a bullied teenager. He says, reading it from IMDb. Um, yes, that's essentially what it is. Yes, I, I was wondering how you were so pinpoint accurate. <laughs> yes, but it's but what makes it interesting is is as we as we find out in the in the interview is they they went from a sort of quite bog standard idea, and then the Native American side of things came into it, which makes it which lifts it and makes it um, without this being a review. Uh, and makes it much more interesting than it might have been. So it's uh, it's it's got lots of interesting elements in it. Um, yeah. And obviously, it's Lance Henriksen, Natasha Henstridge, um, Adam Beach, who's who most people will probably know from Wind Talkers, who's in, who's Navajo. Um, uh, and then we also, I'm very glad I did this because Branscombe Richmond, who's also one of the producers who appears in it as Red Elk, um, he was sort of sat there 
and I was a bit like, I really want to talk to him and everyone's talking. So I made a point of, uh, of, uh, of, of saying, can we just talk to Branscombe now? And we did, and I'm glad we did, because he was, uh, he was fantastic. <laughs> gave a sort of, uh, gave a really good monologue. Um, yeah. While we were talking. So, uh, so now, Dan, you've got to go away and make sure that is in the edit. <laughs> yes, and um, yeah, so the gauntlet is thrown down. No, it's a lovely interview. It's a really creative bunch of people yeah. um, who, who seem very sincere in, in their kind of how, how seriously they took the movie and, and how uh, enthusiastic they were about making it. So it's, it was a good chat for us to be involved with. And I yeah. hope that, um, uh, well, we'll find out when I've edited it, but hopefully enough of that enthusiasm and sincerity will remain for it to yeah. translate to the listener yeah um, let's give it a okay listen. so let's let's go and listen to that and i'll uh, i'll catch up with you ian after the interview check it out boys it's the human garbage disposal <laughs> you're not sick because of the flu kelly you're sick because of your eating disorder you're malnourished i think it's time that kelly talk to someone just give me the healing power to take the pain away. Heal this woman. It's a miracle. Yes. I have no more pain. Is there anyone here that could use my gift? Healing doesn't belong to you. Give the medicine back. I used to be a nobody, and now I'm going to live forever. Kelly, there's someone here to see you. We're going to make you better. Something awesome happened to me after Fluger healed me. I'm invincible. Oh, my God. We've got to keep this between us. You don't have any other superpowers, do you? You can't hurt me. Oh, I bet I can trash me. Feel free to beat me up anytime. I thought Brad ran him over. Were you the kid who got hit by the car? Yeah. You don't look like you got hurt at all. I was very lucky. I told you not to mess with him. He's a freak. One boy down. Three to go. Revenge is wrong, but I have to. Kelly has something that is ours. I have come to get it back. Down here, listeners, I just need to give you a little bit more uh, contextual information about the interview coming up because of the technical problems that Ian and I mentioned. So you've just heard the trailer for Unhealer, in which screen legend Lance Henriksen plays Fluger, a chancer drifter character in modern-day Arizona, who unexpectedly gains magical healing powers when he robs a Native American burial ground. And the focus of the film shifts from Fluger to a character called Kelly when Fluger heals Kelly, a young man played by Elijah Nelson, who suffers from a real-life eating disorder called pica, which causes a person to want to eat plastics and other synthetic materials instead of real food. Once healed... Kelly gains an ability to be invulnerable to hurt, but also to turn the aggression that would be used against him on others. And in this way, he's able to turn the tables on the kids at school who bully him. He also develops a relationship with his longtime friend Dominique, uh, played by Kayla Carlson. So we started off talking to Lance first, and then other members of the crew joined the Zoom call. And so what I'll have to do is I'll introduce each person to you as they start to speak. As we mentioned, Lance's line was kind of the worst in terms of the internet connection. So unfortunately, we've had to cut out some of what he said. One of the uh, phrases that we've sadly had to cut was where Lance was describing 
his young co-stars and the cast and crew of the film as being full of, quote, piss and vinegar, unquote. Um, he is full of enthusiasm for the people he worked with and for the film itself, as you will hear. So I'll let him take over. You know, one of the, one of the things I like to say about this movie is that the editing really worked. I mean, they did they did a great job, and you have you have there's a lot of wonderful actors in this. You know, oh, you truly, Kaya and you got uh, Elijah really did a good job. A 20 year old carrying a movie like that, mm -hmm. and he yeah. really it's all he gave it everything he had, and that's a cool thing. It's it's just a bunch of young people, and it's you know it, it's a bygone era in a way. The uh, the idea the minute you see such and such high school, you know it's a coming of age group of people, you know, in a small town, and and it and it was, uh, it was great because it was a little town in Arizona. I'm really happy about how it turned out. I watched it all, and I, and I loved the kids and it made, the whole thing. I mean, was I even like the way you started it with that song, you know. Great That's song. a wonderful choice of song. Yeah, isn't it? Mm. Originally, they had me with a bone that I had dug up, and I was uh, pretending I was a rock star. I'm glad to <laughs> cut that out. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can only take so much. You know, so. Yeah. Well, maybe that could be in the prequel film. Like I'm saying, I, I think there could be a whole new, other film about Reverend Pfluger. Yeah, Pfluger. Yes. When I saw the name, I kind of understand what was going to happen. It's a strange name. Yeah, it's, I don't know where it's from, but it's a very strange name. <laughs> Let's do the Pfluger story. <laughs> yeah. This is producer Christy Harris. And believe it or not, Sean has a Pfluger story, but I don't remember what it is. <laughs> the writers came up with it. I want to see it. something in, I know it's something in Hawaii, but... <laughs> oh, well, Sean's here, so... We're now joined by co-producer and co-writer Jay Sean Harris and actor Adam Beach. Well, we have, we have, got, we have got bonus, bonus talent. Our spreadsheet didn't, didn't tell us we were getting this many people, so that's great. <laughs> Yeah, we have a couple more possibly jumping on. So just oh, wow. we tried to give you what you needed. So yeah, uh, Sean, as you are one of the writers, um, you know, I did think that the film is it's got quite a in a way a, a familiar structure. You know, the kind of some uh, coming of age, revenge of the nerd kind of drama. But I think within that, you've got a very original idea, which is the notion of someone who, who has a power to turn other people's negative aggression against them. And that's a really interesting thing to base a revenge story on, especially when you get to the revenge part and the hero can't hurt the people he's trying to get revenge on. He has to hurt himself to hurt them. I just wondered what kind of led you to use that as the starting point for your story. Well, the actual starting point was uh, uh, reading an articles. Uh, my my uh, co-writer Kevin Moore. He read some articles about uh, Pika and uh, and um, about a girl that uh, couldn't be 
hurt. She had no feelings. And that's kind of where it all came from. And it, you know, it, it evolved into uh, what we have now, uh, the superpowers and just searching our brains for what kind of powers we haven't, uh, haven't, hasn't been as exploited that much. And that's kind of where that came from. And then it kind of had a life of its own because uh, we got Martine involved to direct it. He's like, I, I think this is such a cool power to have an eye for an eye. And, they, uh, you know, you feel it immediately. So if somebody gives you pain, you, that person tells it back. And so we definitely kind of beef that part of the story up. And, and then we had the idea, rather than to actually kill these people, uh, maybe he should be clever enough to have them hurt him. And then, you know, they feel that pain. So that's kind of where it all came from. Very yeah. organic. Yeah, it is. That whole opening is wonderful, crazy. I like that a lot. So, so when did the when did the um, the First Nations um, element come into the story? Was that always there from the Was that always there from the beginning? No, it wasn't. Uh, we had uh, some people read. I, I think it might have been my sister Christy, um, and was questioning you know, where did the, where did this power come from. And since we were basing it in a desert, uh, we thought, well, this would be uh, be very interesting because we always like stories about uh, Native American uh, mysticism. You know, it's very fascinating. And I don't think it's been that uh, well covered in movies. You, know, you have some, but it's something very exciting. So that's kind of where that came from. It's like, well, maybe, maybe you come across it. Uh, uh, how would they come across it? Well, maybe they dig it up, you know, just just kind of slowly develop that story. And then I also, the great thing about that, it gave uh, Fluger much more to do. And when we got Lance, we said, well, can we make some extra scenes? So I love, yeah. I love the, whole, the whole getting slown through the air. Well, you made the Fluger character amazing. You know, I, you brought to it what me and Kevin never even realized we were going to, we didn't even foresee what you did with that character, so we really appreciated it. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I just started living it. You know? I had a, I had a, well, Lance, uh, you raised the bar pretty high when we showed up. So This is Adam Beach, who plays Native American Sheriff Adler in the film. We thank you for doing what you do best. And, you know, you can thank see you. we're I'm just not following up. Um, I'm not going to play geezer for the rest of the time. Uh, With more respect to uh, the native aspect of it, you know, yeah. um, having having Fluger uh, being a grave robber, they still, you know, steal artifacts and graves these days. It's it's a yeah. whole thing that goes around the world, and it's a huge market. So. Yeah. I love that aspect and bringing in my friends who are Navajo healers and letting them understand the story. We were able to bring in a ceremony that they do in relation to this type of incident that is happening with regards to um, being consumed with this power and using it against other people and hurting people. So there, is out there um, a lot of people that take indigenous knowledge and without the right proper guidance it could really 
harm people and manipulate them and and kind of uh, use a monetary value for their teachings because with our teachings and these medicines it's it's free there's no monetary value to it all and a lot of people exploit it in many ways and you know i'm glad that that we're able to you know show people this side of what they get to see in this film yeah i i i was a little worried about it you know because i don't i i, I don't particularly like that kind of thing you know, where you're exploiting some very personal stuff in the tribe and i've been up to the navajo reservation a lot because i love growing up and met a lot of people and that that's why i felt i have to go i have to go a little uh, weird on on the character that says i want to give it to me it'll save you and i said i this guy's out of control you know he's obviously got a little drug problem he's got a little no morality at all really uh, can i ask lance and sean um we don't act, the first time we meet the reverend fluiger in the film he's he's already you know going into the burial ground to steal bones um lance did that give you freedom to imagine what had happened in his life to lead him to that point or sean did you already have ideas about where uh, fluiger came from and what had kind of developed him uh, you know can i answer that just for a second I think this is a one-of-a-kind incident that led to this. You know, in other words, this guy is a liar and a thief. He's not a reverend. He's saying he is. And, and it's a cover. It's like a blanket, like a, like a saddle blanket. Yeah, exactly. And um, we have a backstory as writers of, of what uh, Stanley Fluger, who he was. Um, but... Uh, Sometimes it's best just to keep that to yourself and, and let uh, uh, somebody like Lance just bring it to a, a level that you don't know. And, um, and he did, you know, so uh, <laughs> we have, we have, we have all these, uh, you know, we're developing stories for the Fluger that happened before this Fluger. So um, there's a lot more to be told for this character. Very cool. Who's that young man at the bottom there? Who is that? That's I think you mean Elijah. <laughs> no, Elijah We're now joined by actors Elijah Nelson, who plays Kelly, and Kayla Carlson, who plays Dominique. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, so the other, the other aspect of the movie, obviously, are the young stars, the high school element to it. So how did Kayla and Elijah come on board? And yeah, Kayla was wonderful in it. I mean, these these kids were good actors. That, you know, and then you you have them around guys like Adam Beach, you know, to will support good work. And I think that happens. We all kind of we all kind of uh, trigger off of each other in our commitment. You know, it's a big deal. There's some wonderful actors. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was splendid cast all across the board. Um, so 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 Elijah and Kayla, how um, how how well Elijah, I guess one at a time, especially with this many people. Elijah, uh, how was it like? Uh, is this your first time as a lead? 
in a uh, manning this humble project this kind of a project uh yeah um i gotta say about what lance was saying that was like one of the coolest parts about production for me was being able to work with people like lance and adam who are just like total pros at this and then you get over to me um and a lot of the other um high school cast um who who are just who are just getting started um and they were all so like courteous and like adam um would like teach me stuff while we were sitting in the car between takes you'd be like see that moment that's when you want to you know do this thing and give that to the audience um so i was not only was i trying to act in the scenes i was trying to like mentally take as many notes as i, as I could during the whole session um yeah, you did yeah, a great job oh thank you man the minute that elijah and kayla came we did an open call for the teenage roles this is director martin geeky and we had really no idea who was going to walk in the door and i can't remember i think sean or chrissy could tell you how many people we saw but we knew right away with elijah and kayla and then the big question was is the chemistry is the emotional connection going to be there that we know would translate into the lens which wants all that truth yeah. And so we brought them in together and it really was magical. I mean, I want you to know there was no question after they came in and did a, a callback second read together, we knew that we had, you know, the, sort of the backbone of the story. Yeah, it really worked. Yeah. They were magical. I have to say their audition was magic and, and it really was. We just sat there and went, we have to hire these guys now. We can't lose them. They're just that good. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the key scene was the scene where uh, she confronts him about how he's been using his, these superpowers and they just killed it. It was so good that so we're like, yeah, let's start. Let's, let's grab it. I didn't, I didn't like when uh, Elijah was eating style. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was rice cakes. I know there's a real illness with people do that. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask about the styrofoam. Was it like, like at the Hare Krishnas, they have like edible, edible cutlery and stuff with it, uh, edible uh, plates and things. Was that what it was? It was like rice cake stuff. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like rice cake that they can make look like styrofoam or like plastic <laughs> or whatever they want. Yeah. Real tasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the whole um, Pika thing is, uh, is obviously, that's where you started from. Um, it's interesting seeing how this, went out from Pika to a superhero, a sort of superhero um, thing. Um, what sort of research did you do into Pika? Did you speak to, did you, I think you were saying before, you spoke to people who, uh, psychologists and things? Uh, mostly read research on it. Yeah. I didn't, didn't actually interview anybody. Um, and uh, I did research on, you know, the disease where, uh, people have no uh, feelings in their skin, so they have to be very careful. Imagine if you didn't feel any pain on anything. I mean, that would be, you don't know when you're breaking your leg or anything. So that was kind of fascinating. And we just took it off in a whole different direction. Yeah. Uh, with, um, you know, uh, but that gave such a fun, I mean, if this kid has pica and he's eating all these things, then of course he's going to be bullied. And then it just kind of, oh, well, then we, we, who would be bullying him? And then you could just kind of run with it. It kind of, a lot of times the, the best scripts kind of write themselves, you know what I mean? They just kind of flow. There'll be a, what are we going to do for the next scene? It just, it just naturally happens. So this is one of those projects. 
Yeah, no, it seems like it, especially with the with the Native American aspect sort of coming in organically. I mean, you can't imagine it without it. It gives it depth. The, you know, the, right, right, right. the idea of appropriating culture, the, the it makes it makes it gives Adam's character. I was going to say Adam, it, it gives your character a real journey as you go from your character is quite as. Would you agree? He's quite a rationalist person, and it's sort of his relationship with. His, the folklore and his culture uh, is something he sort of has to examine his embrace with it. When I was younger, um, with my uh, traditional teacher learning the Anishinaabe uh, teachings, there was this young boy who was about 17, 18, and he had just come back into ceremony. And I asked my teacher, I said, Who's this kid? And he is like, well, he, he ran away for a couple of years and went on the wild side and he's back. And I said, well, why, what's his story? And I said, well, he's a gifted kid where the, the ceremony, it comes through him really easy and it scared him because of that responsibility. So, this film is almost an exact portrait of of a character that I play that I'm afraid to go through the medicine ways that Bran is doing because there's a responsibility to it. So my character finds responsibility in being a police officer with law and order, but he's afraid to do the responsibility of law and order when to additional teaching so when people see that struggle that I'm going through it's something that I've experienced in my 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 years of of practicing uh, the Anishinaabe ways but also I think a lot of us have struggled with responsibility in our lives whether you're a neighbor whether you're a police officer or teacher a friend you know we have to be kind to each other and we have to pay respect to each other as human beings and um i think this spiritual component really you know says a lot to what we're going on in the world today you know what the minute you walk on screen in this movie it's, it's as if we have the Native American uh, ritual fantasies. You know, uh, and, and one of the things that happened was there was a calmness over everything because of you. That's the thing I was talking about. It's like you were the side of it that had sanity and, and calmness. And you were kind. You, if you had been a bad guy you know, at all, you know, rough somebody up or something, it would have, been, it would have destroyed that, that that kindness that you have. You have. Yeah, the sheriff is a really reassuring presence, and I think that's one of the things that works really well about the movie. I think another thing which works kind of crucially well, um, and this is, you know, um, to everybody's credit, but especially to Elijah's and, and Martin's, is that the transformation that Kelly goes through 
you can really feel it and see it. I mean, he's a completely different character in the first kind of 15 minutes of the movie before he is healed. And then within one scene, uh, he's suddenly kind of infused with strength and a different kind of personality. And then obviously his personality um, continues to change throughout the film and becomes much darker later on. But um, I'd just like to ask Martin and Elijah um, how you kind of approached creating that through line for that character and, and making that character so real in changing like that. Um, well, that's what was so like intriguing to me about the character um, is how well Sean and all the creatives crafted him that I, I really wanted the audience to understand and sympathize with almost every choice he makes. You know, in the beginning, a heart bleeds for him um, when he's so bullied and, and the world just, just puts him down um, and he can't get back up and just puts him down again. Um, and then when he gets the power, he finally has the chance to flip everything on its head. Suddenly he's on top. Suddenly he's the victor. Um, and, and, you know, we're rooting for him as an audience. And I, I wanted to step them along, agreeing with every choice. And they say, yes, that's right. Okay. But then at some point, there's a moment when the audience kind of goes, oh, wait a second. This is, this is wrong. How did we get here? Um, and that's what I really enjoy about playing with him is even when he is doing horrible, terrible things, he still was doing what was right in his mind. Um, and that's what's so cool about the scene with Adam and Kayla. This such an awakening for him when his perspective kind of gets unblurred and he gets a brief glimpse of, of, of what he's doing. Um, and I just, I love that opportunity as a character. You know, to answer your question in terms of the, uh, the process, we chose in the moment to stay subtle. We never played anything over the top or bigger than it wants to be. We tried as, as best as we could to lay back. And when, when that camera was rolling, we allowed it to be, again, with sort of our, everybody's internal clock and DNA was saying realism, not only with Elijah, but with all the other characters. I remember with Lance, for instance, uh, his first confrontation with Elijah in person in the trailer Lance has a, a power that he's protecting and he's not going to let anybody have, according to him. As he said, he's, you know, Jesus at Christ in the conversation with Branscombe, with, with Red Elk, which, which really grounds, grounds the film. That conversation with Fluger and Red Elk really grounds the movie into a, a place of realism. It's so a very that happens scene, after, Yeah, and everything that happens after that, you know, it's, it's, it's organic and credible. So the the moment and and, and 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 to lance's process which is very similar to to adam's uh, character in terms of process we had breakfast that morning and lance and i chatted and he talked about a moment in his life and a cigarette smoker who lost a lung and a little bit of this came out <laughs> and that all that all happened on camera because it was it was a it was layers of DNA, and his in in that one sequence where Fluger goes from the most powerful guy in the film to really disappearing and his powers being ingested by the weakest guy in the film, 
and that's that's a pivotal moment in the picture and it all happens in this in this trailer in a very confined isolated environment not dissimilar to the world we're all living in now and those themes resonate even today you know the transfer of power and 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 reevaluation of values and traditions and this one being native american as well as love it's a love story really ultimately and and i i feel like again to answer your question we we tried to make the transformation happen organically but also with a a a the realism of bringing in those layers that these wonderful actors brought from their personal lives which is not easy because you're exposing truth and and that 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 i i i'm grateful for that that everybody brought that uh fearlessly Arizona will do that to you. <laughs> it was so hot every day. It was like 120 <laughs> degrees. There's nothing else to do out there but be truthful. You know, that's it. <laughs> you know I'm just I'm going to mention to what Lance just, just said, and I'll just throw this in because I don't want to slow down the 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 uh, the, the uh, rhythm here, the tempo. One of my favorite moments, and it has very little to do with my favorite moments in the picture, but it happened while we were filming, is where we were out in the desert, out in the uh, Apache. Uh, out there and, and, and it was amazing. This guy came up to us. Um, I'll do a respectful impression of him. He walked up to us in between shots. He came up to me and he said, if you need somebody, I'm here. <laughs> and I thought, okay, now who is this guy, right? And I thought, this guy's perfect. We gotta put him in the scene somewhere. It was the scene where Fluger gets up and, and does his, his preaching. And so I went up to, to Galen and, and Sean and we said like, has anybody spoken to this guy? Who is this guy? And it turns out that this guy was living off the grid just a few miles away and you did not want to talk to him. <laughs> it, Sean, am I right? I think one of the producers, or did you end up going to his, to his underground space that uh, I heard about? Galen did, Galen and Corbin, they did. Can uh, you give us know. a 30 second recount of that? Unfortunately, we have so we have multiple stories that are kind of similar to this one. I hate to say that we tried to yeah. keep everybody away from, but as producers, yeah. we had many moments. Um, but as Lance, sure as, Lance, <laughs> yes, as Lance says, you know, there's a little more to Mother Nature in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, including the spiders that might have been walking around during certain scenes. Those were huge. <laughs> Uh, Don't look at the ground yeah. in Arizona, because if you do, you'll like not want to walk anywhere. <laughs> a lot of what you saw was very, was there. Uh, and the visuals as well. We did a lot of practical effects to keep yeah, it, it, it The whole movie's got a quality about it. It really does. I mean, this is not as, as dumb as a high school movie from the 70s and 80s. No. This has got many levels, many layers. And it works. It really works. I enjoyed it. I really did. I went, good, I'm not going to get thrown in jail for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that all of you loved the film so much and, and enjoyed it so much. And I think we have a definite uh, affirmation from Lance there that we should do the, um, the further adventures in the life of Fluga. I think that's got to be made. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming I, back at you, Lance. If I played yeah. for a few months, that, that would be, be, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put the rest home. I would totally watch Maybe Reverend Fluger. 
That's where it starts. Where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be kind of like kung fu, but you do evil <laughs> everywhere you go. <laughs> instead of saving, instead of saving the town, you uh, you do something. I'm pretending to be a Get out. You know, <laughs> I think the only good thing about Fluger is that his name sounds like a little bit like he's going to spit. <laughs> you can use it to clear your throat. That yeah, that that alerts people. Get away from it. I was just hoping to get um, um, Branscombe because I, I I'm aware Branscombe's not managed to get a word in edgewise. But uh, <laughs> but um, just just sort of back to what we were talking about before. Um, we did you come into the project through Adam? Is that correct? Me. I went to that uh, young teenage open call. This is actor Branscombe Richmond who plays Red Elk in the film and is also an associate producer on the movie. And uh, well, I didn't get- to, He auditioned I didn't get for part. Dominique originally. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's how I got to the casting call, was, was that. Um, Martin Gigi and I did a movie together in Arizona many years ago. How many years ago was that, Martin? Believe it or not, uh, almost, almost 20. It'll be 20 next year. 20 years. And uh, as things happen, uh, I was uh, struck with some great luck. And uh, I was invited to come on board. And uh, I'm, all these people in this movie to me are family now. And I had the great pleasure of uh, being able to bring a little thoughts and um, how I thought the characters should be played a little bit. And uh, that's how I got involved, and I'm really glad I did. What what was really interesting was, um, you know, uh, robbing graves, as Adam said, continues to be a, a problem, and it is um, one of those things that it's done for profit in all indigenous cultures, and um, and I will say uh, of people of color, and white is a people of color, so they're their graves are getting robbed too. But in the USA, uh, Arizona's getting hit hard, you know, and the Diné people, uh, which I had some very good brothers of mine out there that was able to come on set and, you know, which was uh, Flint and um, Eric, they really asked me and they go, wow, this is about a grave robber and he gets his power and stuff like that. I said, yeah. And he goes, wow, man, it's an interesting thing to, to even explore. And um, so I'll make it short. I will say that what I love about this film is that we're opening up wounds, we're addressing them, and it's being done in such a way that maybe kind of catches up to you and bites you in the ass. And that's, that's what I really- That's what happens to me. That, that's what happens to me. You pay for everything you do. And I remember apologizing to you on the set I remember I had to apologize to somebody. I really did. I needed it yeah. because it couldn't have gone on, you know, just being this uh, rasp of a human being. You know, just, you know. Well, Lance, nobody does the finger thing like you, buddy. <laughs> that, that surprised me even. That surprised me to death, man. I, I was going, I, I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. <laughs> Funny. Great moment. Great moment. Yeah, I turned away and I, I just went, I, I can't break now. 
<laughs> I got to say, Lance, uh, towards the end of the show, I wanted a picture with you so badly. Um, and so we got the picture and we're arm in arm, we're smiling. And you say, you say, let's do one more, let's do one more. And then you flip off the camera with the biggest grin on your face. And we're both like <laughs> flipping off the camera. And that is my favorite photo. You have to, you have to stay in character. You have to stay in character. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, um, how was it? Um, we've, we've not mentioned her name, but the wonderful Natasha uh, Henstridge. I, I love her. I think, you know, I swear to God, there's a scene where there's a real mother scene where she's suddenly surrendering to the boy's new energy. You know what I mean? And she's, she's just, she filled the room. She was so, you know, I, that's why I gave her the money back <laughs> and you guys cut it out. But the, I just said, I don't need this. I don't need this money. I'm here for another reason, you know, I mean, whatever it was. <laughs> this is Kayla Carlson. But she's she's the sweetest, though. Natasha's the sweetest. Like, we got to work with her on set. And, like, even off screen, she does have that very, like, motherly energy. And you felt oh, like you could go to her. And, like, we just sit, like, in her trailer and, like, we'd all chat with her about whatever. And she just has, like, such a warm, warm energy about her. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't spoil it for the audience, but there's moment, there's th that moment, you know, is a really, really, really emotional um, heart to the movie um, with, with Natasha as the mother. So this is the point where I'll have to interrupt the interview again, because this is the point where technical problems overwhelmed us and we've lost part of the recording, unfortunately. We can rejoin it just before the end of the recording, at which point... Lance has just noticed something unusual over Ian's shoulder. What is so that skeleton the, behind uh, What is that? Oh, the skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Ian has to explain the skeleton every time. Oh, I've got a... My, my, my wife is um, is a osteoarchaeologist. So, oh, that's so cool. So I think that skeleton was in the movie. Yeah. So I, I, bought, I bought her a skeleton, which is the best. Wait a second. But today, I even have a better story. These 2,000-year-old Roman roof tiles. <laughs> she just what? worked to clean. <laughs> oh, wow. so she's allowed to keep them. There were so many of them. She's allowed to keep them because they don't want them in the museum. So cool. so we're just going to have some Roman roof tiles that she's dug up from nearly 2,000 years wow. ago. <laughs> It's been an absolute pleasure to meet all of you and an honor Total to meet you, Lance. You, yep. know, you star in three of my favorite films, <laughs> if not more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's luck, pure luck. <laughs> yeah. Aliens, Terminator, Aliens, Terminator, and Near Dark. Absolutely. Near love Dark, yeah. All masterpieces, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing film. But yeah, anyway. right, take care. Great meeting y'all. Thank you, yeah, everybody. Thank you for your time. Hello again, folks. That was Ian and I talking to Lance Henriksen and everybody from The Unhealer. Um, hope you enjoyed that. The next movie we're going to talk about is one that I didn't get to see, so I wasn't involved in the interview. It's called Arubu. What can you tell us about that movie, Ian? Well, it is a... It's sort of a remake. It's by, the Arubu is by Alejandro Ibanez, who's a Spanish director and actor, um, who's, who's in the film, actually, as a sort of uh, Quint-like um, captain of a ship going up the Amazon. Um, right. 
and it's uh, it's it's basically it's a sort of horror version of Mosquito Coast. Um, okay. It's kind of uh, it's a you know it's a it's a photographer going up the river with his family to take a you know he's he's a workaholic he's obsessed with taking a picture of this bird called the Arubu. But what they actually get into is a sort of apocalypse now with children kind of uh, there's a, there's a, the, it, and it uses lots of indigenous um, indigenous children from the Amazon, but basically there's a community of children and they are murderous and want to kill everybody. And there's, right. and there's a supernatural element as well in that the, the photographer's daughter um, starts acting strange as well. So it's a very, very strange movie. Um, and we can't review it obviously because of uh, embargoes, um, but it looks fantastic. Cool. Um, but, but what's interesting I, about I'm it as well is, it. Yeah, oh, no, it's um, about reviewing it. Give it a watch. I, but, I, mean, um, I love the idea of the Mosquito Coast, but it's a horror film, basically. It's, kind of, it's, it's the Mosquito right. Coast meets Apocalypse Now with supernatural killer children, um, I would say. Um, but it's also based on um, based on Who Can Kill a Child, which was a Spanish movie, also called Island of the Damned, which I think you've seen, haven't you? Dan, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Um, yeah. I know that Martin Gatiss is a big fan of it, and he talks about it in his documentary. Yeah. Um, from, so I've seen a few clips. It's from the early 70s, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's um, and it's and uh, Alejandro Ibanez's father was the director and writer of that movie. So that was a Spanish movie set on a island i think off the yes yeah, it's an english couple who find themselves on an island inhabited by maniacal children and he okay. sort of he sort of switched it to the amazon which gives it a sort of environmental sort of lungs of the planet element to it as well um but i don't think it's it's not you don't need to have watched as we haven't we don't need to have watched or even be aware of the uh, original film it's just uh, that's in a way a bit of trivia but but mm. that is that is Obviously, we talk about that in the interview. Um, the sort of uh, the sort of legacy of his father's film, and how and, and how his and how his father, you know, has sort of affected his own own life as a as a creative. So, uh, but yeah, without reviewing it and without just going over what you're going to hear in the interview, I guess we can uh, hear the interview now. Yeah, let's spin right over that. This is Ian Winterton, and I am zooming from Cheshire in the UK all the way over to Madrid in Spain. And I have Alejandro Ibanez, director and actor of the fantastic, um, fantastic horror movie, um, Uberu. Um, and if uh, we just sort of get into the how it began, um, Alejandro, um, I believe it was your father's movie in 1976, which I confess I've never seen. Um, but it, it's a sort of legendary movie about scary children on an island off the coast of Spain with a English couple. Um, and you've it, it's reimagined the word. Um, how 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 similar and how different? Obviously, you set this movie in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, well, 
Uh, I don't know if you know, my father is also the creator of 321, that in UK is known as an entertainment what? game show. As in three, as in three, two, one. Yeah, three, two, one. The, the quiz show with Ted Rogers. I yeah, that's why. That. Yeah, my father is the creator of that game show. Oh wow! So maybe in 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 UK they know him for that show more than the for the movie. Oh wow, that's amazing. I yeah, that's part of my childhood watching three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, well, with. Uh, about your question, yeah, well, my father died last year, June. Oh. Um, I used to do documentary. And in the last year, I, I, I've not, I, I, I had the feeling that my father, it will be that, die. So I wanted to do a movie to, to, for him, to, to watch close to him, sitting next to my father and tell him I, I, did, I made this movie for you. And it's, it's based on what he made in 1976 with uh, Who Can Kill a Child. So my movie is like Who Can Kill a Child 46 years later in the jungle, in the Amazon. So it's a movie that I made for him, you know, all the sequences, all the, everything is, how is the way he made movies in the past years? Yeah, it's, it's uh, like I said, I've just, I've just, I watched, I've just watched the finale and I'm still, my head's still spinning because it's it's just a fantastic film, really tense. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go and find a copy of your father's movie as well so I can uh, fill that gap in my knowledge. But just focusing on this movie, um, you filmed in Brazil, but am I right that the actors are, are Spanish and the idea is that they're Spanish and they've gone to gone to the Amazon for this yeah. to, to find this impossible photograph? Of an albino albino vulture called an Uruguru. Uruguru, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uruguru, yes. Um, so you filmed in Brazil, but am I right um, that it's a sort of you've you've made it a Spanish speaking part of of the Amazon? Yeah, it's a mix. It's a mixture yeah. between uh, Spanish and Portuguese because the characters, uh, the the Carlos, the actor is uh, his the, his character is Spanish and his wife is Brazilian. Uh, and they used to be living in Rio de Janeiro, and they go to to Amazonia to the rainforest to to shoot the bird. So it's like a couple, a Spanish Brazilian couple. Oh, I see. I see. That makes sense. Yeah, because I've been to I've been to the edge of the rainforest, but from Peru. Yeah. Um, so I've never been to never been to Brazil, but but um, I mean, it it just looks beautiful. Apart from anything else, I mean, it's a very tense, very scary and bloody movie in the end. But the rainforest—it's a love letter to the rainforest. It um, reminds me of so many films. Um, um, it, it, it weirdly reminded me of, of Apocalypse Now because you're going up the river. When you get off the boat, people yes. there's a community of mad people. Yeah, that, that, that was the idea. You know, it's because. 30 years ago, the, the, the crew moved to the jungle. Right now, nobody goes to the jungle to do movies. Everybody does it in 3D with a yeah, green yeah. screen. Uh, we are so crazy that we say, no, we have to go to the jungle and do it as 30 years ago, the people does the movies. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I, th I think that pays dividends because I was watching it going, I don't know if 
persuading persuading your actor to get in the river and wade through the river and was that the real river and it was a real river and and he was afraid because there is a, a the little, little, or a little <laughs> yeah no but there is a, the worst one is a little fish uh, that called carandiru that if you pee in the amazonia yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. It goes go inside the penis, and you yeah. have to open up the penis like a banana to take it out. Yeah, yeah. So, I've heard of that one. Yeah, it follows the urine, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it follows the trail. Right. Uh, yeah, all the sequences, all the that that you see was real. Everything wow. was jungle. Uh, we 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 lived in the jungle for two months, uh, sleeping one each other close to each other in a in hammocks. You know hammocks. Hammocks, yeah. Hammocks. Yeah, yeah. They divided together with the bags, with the reins, with everything. So we had two months very hard working in the middle of the jungle. Oh wow, that's that's just. Um, I mean, that just sounds amazing. But you must have. I mean, your risk assessment, your the forms. Did you have Karindu and yeah. <laughs> on the risk no, assessment? Uh, Don't pee really, in the water. But fortunately, we didn't have any bad accident. We have some things, uh, some bugs uh, in the eye of my my director of photography. Oh, in the eyes, he has the eye like a ball, a football. So what, what got him in the eye? An insect? No, uh, like a, a a huge bee. Oh uh, yeah, it like I don't know how to say in English. Like uh, it, that stung him. Yeah, eat him. No, in the yeah, stung him in the eye. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I was covered in bites when I went to just mosquitoes and <laughs> or, it's a, it's a beautiful place and uh and um I mean you talk about your actors. I mean, were they were they they must have they must have been on board. They didn't otherwise they would have left. So they must have loved the project and recommitted to the project. You, I mean, they they're great as well. You did you know them beforehand? Yeah, uh, the, the the Carlos, the the main actor, he's a friend of mine since like twenty years ago. Uh, he's like my my brother, so he's uh-huh. he, he he's he said, "No, I go with you everywhere where you go." And the actress, I met I met her before the movie. She's a Brazilian, and the, that that's very good story because she's the I don't know if you like football, soccer. A little. <laughs> uh, you know Real Madrid, of course. Oh uh, yes, yes. And you know Marcelo. Ah uh, yes, even I know uh, that name. Yeah. <laughs> well, my actress is the wife of Mar- Marcelo. Oh wow! She's Clarice Alves. Is that correct? Yeah, Clarice yeah. Alves is Marcelo's yeah. wife. So I oh, said, wow. "Well, Marcelo's wife." So we are in the middle of the jungle. I don't know if she wants to be in a air conditional boat. I don't know if she wanna. I don't. You know, it's a million dollar, million dollar people that live with I think a lot of be money. Too fancy, and uh, yeah, I thought it was, was gonna be too fast, but she was. Uh, she was like us. She didn't. She yeah. didn't say nothing about where to sleep or where to go. She was better than us. She was an adventure girl, and she loved it. And uh, it was very. And now she's like my sister. I love her. She loved me. Uh, we had two months very very uh, together no? now we are a family and yeah, that's yeah. not happen normally in a movie because we we were living two months in the middle of the jungle and when we finished we were like family yeah well, I'm, yeah imagine it's a bit like going to war when you have a movie like that it's like yes <laughs> you're uh, you're 
band of brothers and sisters. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, you, I mean, you take like a shower in the same place, you do pee and poo in the same place yeah. like everybody. So it's like, uh, finally, you are a family. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, and your, the, your other cast, um, the children, uh, like, they're, A, how did you make them so scary? Um, well, all the, chin, all the children, they live in the jungle. Yeah, I yeah. So I didn't take them from the city. No, they no. Live on the, and they are so so different from the children from the city because they live there. They are not afraid of nothing, and mm -hmm. they they respect they respect us too much. It's mm -hmm. not like the 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 city kids. They they are it's another kind of of kids. Yeah, they, they live in the world. So and when there's another people coming from outside, they respect us and. They were so so good to work with them. Yeah, so there's an there's an irony there in that the, the uh, because they because they lived in the jungle, they were more respectful to adults. But in yeah. the film, it's the opposite. They are they yeah. they, they kill yeah. adults. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yeah they like, love it to do it. Yeah, yeah. I bet that was fun. I bet they loved getting those sharp sticks and and. Yeah, yeah. No, they. I, I I tell one of the kids you have to run after after the actress after Clarice and you have to grab her and he was so serious about it that he he started running so fast and he grabbed grab her from the hair and do like that and she was ah what you did what you did I know the director told me that I have to do that uh, but yeah they would they had a lot of fun yeah I mean it's um it's uh the, the, your your father's film I read. The sort of impetus behind that was as a commentary on the victims of, well, child soldiers and the effects of war on children. And I, and in this, you sort of open it. Have you opened it up wider? So it's the effects of the world in general on children. Um, would you would you say your sort of symbolism is 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 wider than just the effects of war on children? Uh yeah, well, I, it's, my father wants to do that in, the, in his movie, you know, it's like these kids are bad because of the war and because they're un hungry, you know, each seconds right now, each, uh, one kid die each five seconds. Yeah, yeah. So we, are, we, we have to open our eyes. In the beginning of my movie, you see kids working on the market, mm -hmm. uh, wrapping the luggage. And when you travel to these countries and you see it, you don't pay attention that that's not normal. That kids yeah. 13, 9, 8 years old, they are working. They're supposed to be at the school or supposed to be at home. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to be working. And for us, right now, it's totally normal to see these kids working. And it's not normal. They have, to, they, they have their life. Yeah. And we, we are adults. We are not conscient that we are destroying their, their future. Yeah. So, my movie wants to 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 say this message to the people. We have to take care of the kids because this is the future. We are leaving them in a bad world. Yeah, and was that was that another reason why you set it in the rainforest? Because obviously, in an era of Bolsonaro and yes. all those yeah. sort of people, that's you know we get rid of those jungles and no one's got a future. <laughs> so yeah. was that was that a very conscious part of it? The the environmental aspect. Yeah. Yeah, in the, the the I mean, when when did you when did you make this? 
I made it in October, November in 2018. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, in a way, it's become more to the fore in the news. Like, before COVID, there was lots of the protests in Brazil, the rain, you know, against Bolsonaro's, um, what he's been doing in Brazil, against the against the um, indigenous tribes. So, it's become even more sort of to the fore. Um, yes. But it's... Uh, but it's uh, I, I just think it's such a it's such a great movie and really dark as well. I mean, like it, it's it's it starts off with because I did I didn't know you start off thinking oh is this going to be a monster, um, and the monster is more scary than a big crocodile or whatever. Um, but it's but it's um, did you deliberately have a cigar like Clint, uh, Quint in Jaws or was that a was that well, my, my my father used to smoke cigar? Ah, I see. So yeah, my my character talks. Uh, I I I cut a, a sequence because I talked about my father. I cut it because he didn't he didn't need it in a movie. So yeah. my character is like is like a, I don't know how you say it, like a honor honor to my father. Yeah, because yeah. Because I smoke cigar and. He, I speak about my my father that I didn't see in the movie, but it's like I wanted to do for him uh, that character. Yeah, 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 yeah. And your your um your character your character is fantastic as well. I mean, you, you you've not done much acting, have you, or before? No, 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 not, not that much. Just a little bit, uh, short movies and nothing else. Right. Now, thanks for this movie. I have uh, they hired me to do a, a new neo Nazi. Oh, excellent! In yeah, for for October. So I'm happy. Yeah, they saw me and they, I want you in my in my series. Yeah, okay. I say okay. So I'm well, happy with it. I the first thing I thought was because uh, obviously it's a very different film, but it made me think you'd be a good action hero. You'd be. Oh, what's his name? He was in the Meg and those sort of films. British actor. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah. The world. Maybe. Yeah, Vin maybe Vin Diesel. Maybe that's just um, the hair. But um, but yeah, but just that that presence. The um, you, you, you know, you, you it was the, when I found out you were the director as well. I was like, what? <laughs> that's uh, you know, it's a really good. Well, movie. It, it was it, it was very hard directing me. You know, I didn't want to watch my sequence. I have my my sub direction, my, my my other direction. I did. I don't want to see nothing because I, I won't like it. But what yeah. I learned is how to direct the actors. Because when I was acting, I I learned why why they have when they have to wait a long times to 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 do the lights and they have to prepare the the sequence and it's very hard. It was very good for me as a director to be in the in the movie. Because I learn a lot in the other side of the camera, yeah. so I'm happy that I did that that work. Because now I understand more the actors, and I can direct direct them better. Actors, I know a lot of actors, and they love they love actor directors. They love directors that know that know the know what they've got to do, keeping the energy up when all you've done yes. is sit doing a crossword or looking at your phone for like three hours. And then you've got to go and straight into yeah. a scene. It's yeah. uh, it's difficult stuff. Um, so so uh, what's uh, this is the UK premiere here at um, here at Grimfest. Um, how many how many screens has it been shown on throughout the world? Where was your world premiere? 
Was that in Spain? Well, in, in 18th of September, we have the premiere for all the Spain. Mm -hmm. In 10th of this, in the next week, 10th, September 10th, we will do a, a premiere for our friends, uh, you know, just mm -hmm. pre-premiere. Yeah. And the movie has been going all around the festivals. We've been in, in Mexico, we've been in Italy, we're going to be in Argentina, and uh, we've been all around Spain in festivals. So we are happy how the movie is going all, all around the festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine it will be going down very well everywhere because it's it's a superb film. It really is. I mean, um, I think just before before I sign off, just to, because one of the things it looks you mentioned your cinematographer, you know, got stung on his stung on his eye by a bee. But I think hats off to was it is it a, is it a man? Hats off to your cinematographer um, for the look of the film. I mean, um, where where how did he get involved in the the movie. I didn't understand that. Sorry, sorry. Your your cinematographer, your DP. My, uh, you say uh, I don't know in Spanish. My director of photography. Yes, yes, yeah. Your director yeah. of photography. Yeah. I have two of them. Oh, you had I two. Have... Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. How, how, how did they come on board the the project? Ah, because I've been working with them ten years ago. Ah. We are part of the family, and they do a lot of documentary with me in the jungle and in India and Thailand. We've been working together, like and we start working in 2000, I think. Oh no, 2000, 2011. Sorry, 2010, 2011. We start working together. It's my group that everything I do, I do it with them. I see. I was actually going to ask a question because it has that documentary feel. And it captures the wildlife as well. It's like, uh, it looks beautiful. So so you've been making films around the world, documentaries. Yes. That's where this, that's, that's yeah, that, that makes sense because it totally, it feels, it feels real. It feels, which adds to the fear of it because yeah. it's like a documentary and then there were killer children in it. Yeah, we wanted to, to, to have that sense because yeah. that's what we like to do, documentary. And jungles and cities, and that's what we've been doing the last ten years. So we wanted also to the to the people to watch a movie. Then when they see it, it we, they see something real. That that that, that uh, jungle exists. What you see is there. I yeah. didn't I didn't do nothing. The the spider or the the snake. Everything was there. So we take it and we put it in the film. Yeah. And that's what we like to do. And that's the real thing. Nothing is fake in the moment. Yeah, not not a single moment of CGI or computer. Nothing. No, no, it looks, it's 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 refreshing. Like I said, it makes me think of, I guess, films from that era, from Apocalypse Now, and maybe your father's own film if I've seen it. But that, when things were real and and yeah, uh, we, people... we were trying to to hand the Urugu white. The albino, the and we saw it that we uh, was impossible to hunt it. Yeah, we had to do it with the black one, with the normal one, because yeah. like, we were two months with the indigenous, with the Indians. Yeah, yeah. Hunting the white urubu, but it was impossible. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, um, hunting for that white urubu as well. That I mean, again, that makes me think of Moby Dick, the sort of the pointless quest to find an albino animal, <laughs> um, the, the hubris of man. So that sort of, 
the you know his pride um um is uh is, is sort of also tied up in there um with a character um but is the fact that they're vultures as well was that was that sort of part of why you wanted to call it urubu no it's just urubu because it's the name of the bird we we didn't know I didn't want to call as my father's movie because uh, people know that movie. So we don't want to to say no. It's the second part or it's a remake. No, we wanted to do nothing. Have to do and when they watch it, it was a surprise. Like oh yeah, there is a this thing is something to do with his father's movie. So we yeah. call him Urubu because of the bird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you have the line near the end: "Who can kill a child?" When the yeah, when uh, yeah, which is I mean, obviously it's uh, you went hiding it. Um, so I was going to say the the other thing was was it a conscious apocalypse now thing that you, he ended covered in mud and uh, like like uh, Michael Sheen does in uh, Martin Sheen even Martin Sheen does near the before he killed Marlon Brando in uh, Apocalypse Now he comes out of the mud and you have a similar yeah a similar thing it's it's a it's a fantastic movie you you know take the the city the city guy with a, all his technology and he ends up like a like a stone age man covered in mud killed by spears it's a fantastic fantastic yeah. trip of a movie and, yeah, that, and, and their character changed totally he, he goes mad with the with the kids and everything goes wrong no? and yeah, yeah. that moment of the movie that he changed totally yeah, yeah, no, no. It's a it's, it's a fantastic film that works works on works in sort of every way you might assess a movie. So, uh, I uh, you must be very proud. I mean, you dedicated it to your father, so I'm sure he'll be proud too. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fantastic, and uh, I look forward to seeing what you're doing next. Uh, you you're going to make another movie? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, we we uh, I I already finished to do the script. And we plan to do the next summer, also in Brazil. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be another kind of movie, but it's horror also. Uh-huh. Um, but we are very happy with the script; it's much better. We love it, and it's gonna be a very strong movie because it's about the the machismo, machism. Machismo, yeah. Yeah, the woman, you know, the, the rapes and everything. Oh yeah. And it's very strong that it's very it's, it's, it's happening in Brazil and it's a horror movie, so it's gonna yeah, be a strong like, movie. And, like toxic yeah. masculinity. Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the yeah, yeah. So another hard hitting movie. Yeah, with a, with a message. Yeah, I, I was gonna say with a message. Yeah, but but like this movie, first and foremost, just very very entertaining. Like you know. Yeah, I don't no, want. He doesn't preach. He doesn't preach. It's it's a movie, a tense movie, and then everything else is underneath. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, hopefully, um, if COVID nineteen disappears or goes away, we can yeah. uh, maybe meet you in a fest- film festival in the real world instead of on I, a computer. I hope, I hope so. Yeah, we can pray. But um, but yeah, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and uh, I'll full- thoroughly recommend your film to everybody. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a good Thank day. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. So that was Ian talking to Alejandro Ibanez about Urubu 
Um, and we've got one more movie to talk about in our episode today. It's another one that I haven't seen. Ian, you interviewed for this. The movie's called Death Ranch. And uh, the person you talked to was its director, I think. Charlie Steeds, yes, who's director, writer, and general uh, producer, um, who lots of horror fans will know um, for sort of his uh, movies, such as, um, well, the, the Werewolf in London, we sort of talk about briefly, which has just come out now. Um, but right. also, people know him for, um, for The House of Violent Desire, the Barge People, Escape from Cannibal Farm, Dead Man Apocalypse. Wow. Um, Amazing titles, I have to yeah, say. I don't know any of them. No, no. He's and he's uh, as 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 with Death Ranch, he's very much in the sort of splatter gore end of things. Sort of bad taste era. Peter Jackson, Sam Raimi, um, right. and this is an interesting one in that he's very English, as you'll hear in the interview. Um, He's a he's he's a he's a white boy from England, but he made a black exploitation movie in Tennessee, set in the nineteen seventies, about um, three African Americans who are holed up in in a cabin and are attacked by Ku Klux Klan people um, who aren't just evil Ku Klux Klan people, which is enough, but they're also cannibals. So right. it's without. Without reviewing it, because we'll review it afterwards, it's uh, that's the tone of it. It's very gross. The effects um, are bloody. It's uh, it's kind of tasteless, but very much uh, on the side of the heroes. Um, right. So in this era of Black Lives Matters, um, it's 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 a very strange film to uh, be watching. But right. the fact it has the clan besieging a house. Is uh, is something you don't see very often. Um, so, sure, yeah. um, it's uh, but yeah, it's uh, as as we'll hear in the interview, it's uh, it's uh, it's very much uh, it's very much a sort of. I probably have to edit this bit because I've just yeah just faded right. off. Um, but yeah, as we'll hear in the interview, it's uh, it was it was a very low budget film, but. But and and also kind of very silly and tongue in cheek and it's splattergore horror. But even so, there were people who were local, local white people, and they were very worried about dressing up as the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Not just because, not just because of. Uh, of well, if somebody movie. sees that and misinterprets it, then you're well, stained well, for no, life, aren't you? It was more. It was not just that. It was more that the local clan would not be happy. Oh no. So it really? kind of makes you realise it's a real thing. Mm. So, uh, you know, oh, you're mocking the real clan, are you? <laughs> so, okay. oh so, my uh, God. So, so there was that element to it. But yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's, but it, 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 it's, uh, it's a crazy movie and very much uh, have a few beers and watch at the end. And sort of more late night horror, horror festival fair. Because right. it's got a lot of gross laughs in it. Right, okay. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. All right, although you're not reviewing it, but that sounds like a recommendation. Oh. So it, it would be for me anyway. Nice yeah. one. All right. Well, let's hear that interview then, and then uh, you and I will pop back at the end. 
<laughs> you have no idea how good it is to see you. Dylan's mutual, believe me. You look like shit, little brother. Well, I feel like a million dollars. I bet you do. You busted out of jail, you're laying low. Soon you're gonna have another chance at this. Project that will come looking for me out here? Not a chance in hell. We always said this was the perfect hideout. Nobody been on this damn ranch since Granddaddy died. Nobody but us. Get crazy. Girl I was with. She at. They're gonna wish they never did this to us. Do tell them. If they come in here, I'll blow their motherfucking heads off. What a goddamn mess. Hello again, this is Ian Winterton, and I am here by the wonders of Zoom speaking to Charlie Steeds director of many, many horror films, such as Winter Skin, An English Haunting, Vampire Virus. Uh, and we're here speaking about Death Ranch, his latest, which is appearing at Grimfest, which I think is a, a gleefully unpleasant film. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I guess first off, Charlie, uh, hello. Um, do you mind me? <laughs> Describing it as gleefully unpleasant. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a good description. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, it's uh, it's in that it's in that um, it's in that sort of genre of um, I guess you call it splatter gore. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, um, I guess for me, I always think of Bad Taste, Peter Jackson's. Uh huh. Uh huh. Very very nasty, but hilarious movie. Um. <laughs> um and uh, your, yours is yours is uh, in terms of its uh, special effects and and squirting blood and other nastiness. I'd say was in that camp. It's it's got it's got higher production values than than bad taste, and it's uh, very much it, it it looks brilliantly like it was made in the uh, in the era. It, it's set in nineteen seventy one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So in some ways, it kind of looks, and I mean this in a in a in a positive way, it looks like a sort of nineteen seventy one kind of horror movie in in many ways. Um, yeah, yeah. Were you were you going for that? I mean, it's it's about three it's about three African Americans who are holed up in part of Tennessee and they end up doing battle with the Ku Klux Klan, who aren't just the normal Ku Klux Klan who are bad enough. Um, they are cannibal clanners. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, is uh, was was that was that part of your intention was to make a sort of black exploitation movie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd been wanting for a long time to make a grindhouse exploitation style movie, and it was really it's really all those American grindhouse movies that uh, appealed to me, and sort of I just love the style. I love that sort of. Uh, as you were saying, you know, the, the whole 70s style that I've tried to capture with the movie, I've always loved that style. And, like, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan, and you see a lot of influence in his movies, and I'm a big Jack Hill fan, uh, and all those old movies, Foxy Brown and Coffee. Uh, these are some of my favourite films, so I really wanted to do something that paid homage to that kind of style of filmmaking and black exploitation and uh, Grindhouse. Um, 
but obviously telling a story that uh, kind of has a bit more of a modern sensibility to it. Um, so like you say, you know, I, I didn't want to make it look really camp and trashy uh, like some of those uh, Grindhouse movies. You know, I didn't, I didn't set out to make a purposely bad movie at all. I wanted to tell a story that I found interesting. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it is full of the splatter and gore and the sort of tropes of those types of movies. So, yeah. I've seen so many film horror films over the years, and this, in a good way, made me made me turn my stomach and made me go whoa <laughs> in that way. That, um, <laughs> that it's great to have a movie like that. Every horror festival needs to have the one you'll watch with. Yeah. And part of the point of it is to go, oh, that is disgusting. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can. I guess in a weird way, they're not spoilers because it's not like, <laughs> but it, but. I mean, how, how do your actors react to, for instance, being told, right, this is the bit where you reach into his guts and <laughs> and, force, and you're going to be force-fed your own intestines? I mean, <laughs> well, how, how do you direct a scene like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it, the, the whole film, two things. It was firstly really fun to make, which mm -hmm. with I think people, maybe not horror fans, but I think some people think of horror filmmaking as this kind of silly little thing that you go off and do with your mates and you're all just sort of messing around and throwing around some fake blood and having a laugh. Mm -hmm. But I've, within all my horror films, I've done scenes that are, you know, intense dramatic moments where it's dialogue driven. And I've done scenes where you're pulling someone's intestines out and force feeding it to them and there's action and guns and stuff. And it is far, far more difficult to pull off all of the sort of crazy stuff, all, all of the gunfights and the blood and guts and decapitations. That's way more, even just on a physical level, it's way more uh, difficult to actually accomplish. Um, but having said that, for a film like Death Ranch that's so filled with action and blood and stuff, this one of all my films was really easy to make. Um, and we had so much fun doing it. So... I I'm I don't know exactly what it was, but it was almost like the film just wanted to be made. Um, but part of it was that I'd actually never been to Tennessee before, uh, which is where we shot the film. And so I flew over there and spent a month out there making the movie. And not a single person on the crew or the cast had I ever met before. Mm -hmm. uh, we just, we met through, uh, I did online auditions and we Skyped with each other. And so when I actually got to Tennessee with all these people who were basically strangers, uh, it, it was kind of, we just immediately gelled and immediately became great friends. Um, and they treated the project and me as a director with so much respect. Um, I think everyone just really responded to the script. Um, and so that just made the shoot, go so smoothly you know everyone really put all their effort into the film uh to make it you know as good as it could possibly be which considering how sort of silly it is at times with the splatter and the gore and stuff uh you know i'm a lucky director because everyone just treated it so seriously um and just made it something special you know yeah no no it shows and it's um it's it, it strikes, it, it's like you picked a tone and went for it. And it's not, 
I mean, I mentioned bad taste, but that's more just in the practical effects. But bad taste is very, very silly. Um, mm. Whereas this isn't silly in that you couldn't get away with Duff um, performances because yeah. it's kind of gritty at the same time. So the characters don't do don't do silly. You know, the characters are real people. Yeah, yeah. always very heightened, and what's happening is disgusting. Occasionally, quite often, but at the same yeah. time, it's it's real people up against it, and the and the the gunfights are really impressive as well. Um, mm. <laughs> just uh, although I, I I did I did sort of make a note saying um, the clan of nineteen seventy one don't seem to be as into guns as uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as they would be today. No fifteens <laughs> over their shoulders. Um, but, um, but yeah, but, but there's lots of, there's lots of shooting later on. And, yeah. um, and, and, um, did you, did you edit it yourself? I did. Yeah. I was going to say hats off to the editor because that's a, that's a very important part of these sort of films as well is yeah, the yeah. effects and then cutting around them because if you focus too much on one shot, they look a bit hokey. Whereas if you cut around really, exactly, fast, yeah, yeah. then, then it's, yeah. That's one thing I always remember with well, lots of those films, Sam Raimi, and and then again I keep going about Peter Jackson, but the editing mm-hmm. is is a massive, huge part of yeah, yeah, how these films work, and you've really got that going. Um, so how did you? How did you? If you don't mind me asking, but how did you? What's your sort of? Uh, how did you raise the money for this? Um, how? What, what I'm asking is, how did a white boy in London come to be making <laughs> a film about African Americans fighting the Klan? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a very good question because so I came up with the idea uh, about three years ago, maybe. I was just watching loads of Grindhouse trailers um, and I came across this trailer for a film called Brotherhood of Death, which has, toward the end of that film, it has a similar thing where uh, African American characters have a bit of a run in with the clan mm-hmm. um, and then they actually disguise themselves in the clan robes. Um, and then sort of take a bit of revenge um, and that that whole image and idea just really stuck with me and I did I just wondered like why have we not seen a horror film like fully dedicated to doing this type of a thing um, because obviously the KKK when they're dealt with in movies usually it's dealt with in a very like matter-of-fact historical way mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously important you need to document that and it's always very hard hitting but I just thought from a B-movie perspective uh, mm. wouldn't it be so cool and so cathartic to actually have uh, the clan just getting obliterated by totally badass african-american characters you know sort of a, a different a different uh telling of that history you know um, yeah. so that's that's what i thought would be really cool so i had that idea um but like you say my first thought actually when it, when i'd written the idea down um and sort of developed it a bit was maybe this really isn't the sort of film i should make because i am <laughs> a white british guy and should is it really my business to make this type of movie yeah, you know, out over in Tennessee about these African-American characters. Um, so I pitched it to a bunch of companies and they all thought the idea sounded really cool, but obviously they were not going to fund it because it's quite edgy. You know, the mm. content is kind of controversial and it, and it would need to be handled in quite a 
on the one hand, this grindhouse exploitation is very in your face and over the top. On the other hand, you have to be quite sensitive about what you're actually dealing with because you're dealing with issues of racism and sort of history of a country yeah, uh, and, yeah. and the clan. But to be honest, that, that kind of came across fairly easy because it's an anti-racist movie where the black characters are fully empowered, mm-hmm. triumphant, they are heroic. So that was always absolutely going to be the way um, which, you know, even I got the response of, you know, the cast members and stuff. Uh, they were they were involved with their opinions on the script and what was too far and, and what was, you know, what was too edgy. Um, so everyone was comfortable with, because obviously to precede the, the, uh, the triumphs that come in the film is preceded by torture and rape and nastiness, but you know, you had to find the sweet spot of not prolonging that too much, mm-hmm. just enough to make it fully cathartic when they're when it comes time for them to get their revenge. Um, yeah. So, so I pitched to companies. Companies weren't interested uh, because of the content um, <laughs> and the subject matter. But then uh, a filmmaker who I've been friends with over the internet for a long time called Aaron Mertis he and I were working for the same company um, and his parents happened to own uh, a lot of land in Tennessee uh, on which there is this ranch, the old barn that we uh, filmed on and loads of woodlands and stuff. So he, and he said, you know, you need to come over to Tennessee and make something and you can use, you know, I've got all this stuff that we could use and all this land. And I immediately thought back to this idea of Death Ranch, and I just thought, wow, that would that would be amazing to go over to Tennessee and be able to shoot shoot the film there. Um, it would be, you know, it would have the authenticity that I wanted. I wouldn't have to sort of fake trying to shoot it in England, you know, which I have done for other films that are set in America, but I've faked it yeah. by uh, building sets in England and stuff. So uh, I went to uh, just basically private investors and. Um, some produce I mean there's six producers on the movie um so I kind of just teamed up with these guys and we went searching for the money and we managed to get the budget together and uh so it's it's a completely privately funded movie you know just people with the passion to make uh, a horror film uh put their money together and off we went yeah is Dark Temple your company yeah so Dark Temple Motion Pictures is my production company um, so basically, me through my company, um, I have companies, I have other companies approaching me with funding or private investors approaching me with funding. Um, and then my company then goes about making the product. Yeah. 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 Just uh, you wouldn't normally talk so much about the funding of a project. But in, the, in this genre, when so many people, A, the people who are consuming the movie will be people mm. who want to make their own movies as well. So it's like, Mm. It's uh, that erecting that house of cards that gets a film financed um, yeah, yeah. is uh, is uh, is one I'm familiar with as well with uh, many other different projects and things. But mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. it's uh, but it's just so so just seeing the fact you've made a film that looks so accomplished. Um, you know, well, sorry, not accomplished. It just it looks great. And uh, I won't ask you what your budget is, but I imagine you've made every penny count <laughs> on the screen. Um, and, yeah. and you're 
And um, were you your own cinematographer? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, up and until... editor and your cinematographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, up up until this film, I'd never, I'd never made a film where I didn't use my usual cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I was flying out to Tennessee, I mean, the amount of, the amount of camera kit and lighting kit that we usually have, I knew there was really no chance we were going to get that all the way over to Tennessee. Um, And we could have, I mean, I could have rented stuff over there, but uh, because I was going over there to sort of team up with this other filmmaker, Aaron, he had kit and then I took some kit with me. Um, and my whole idea was to shoot the film, just try and give it an authentic naturalistic look because these old seventies grindhouse movies, they didn't have the budget for big lights and fancy equipment. And even, uh, there's even, there's equipment that you can buy now for these, you know, small cameras that you can hold in your hands that uh they just wouldn't have they would never have had it back in the 70s mm. so it it's not and certainly not on those lower budget exploitation movies so it was okay to limit myself in what kit i was going to have and also to ditch the cinematographer and just go at it myself um so we shot it with two cameras um, Aaron had one camera and I had the other and the idea was to just you know we had an idea of the style um, but really it just needed to look gritty and authentic and mm-hmm. there seems like when we do the cross burning with the KKK uh, when they first get discovered um, where we kind of I blocked it through with all the extras and the actors and then you light the fire and then you just make them do it and me and Aaron are just running around shooting it with the camera, almost like a documentary, as if it's kind mm. of unfolding in front of you. Um, and then that that whole sort of rough handheld style is what gives it that um, that exploitation feel. So yeah. it kind of it was it was a risk, but because um, it could have just turned out looking really low budget and naff. Uh, but I think it paid off and, and ended up looking how I wanted it to. Yeah, it looks cracking. It really does. I mean, did you did you um, in post? Did you do like did you do um, color treatment, grading, and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also um, there's a there's like a sort of overlay of an actual scan of film with the dust and scratches and the grain uh-huh. that has been placed on top of the image. So it's o- it's only quite subtle. I didn't want to I didn't want to go really overboard like. Uh, films like Planet Terror and stuff like that where they go really far with covering it in scratches and stuff I do I do like that look but I was trying to give it a sort of authentic a more authentic uh, vibe of feeling like a black exploitation movie it's, from it, that it era it's fascinating it is, it, you could, in some ways you could almost say yeah we've just we've just we've found these cans and we've yeah, uh, yeah. just had them we've just had them developed yeah, <laughs> that, that was what I hoped for so if you look closely uh, there is there is a flicker of you know there's dirt and scratches but it's not too it's not so um, obvious that you'd be distracted by it but it is there yeah 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 and yeah I mean I I, I guess I didn't notice anything but I just felt this feels rich and seventies yeah and, yeah and mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know and uh, authentic <laughs> yeah, in many yeah. ways um, I just uh, yeah and just um, and it's and and I guess with the clan I don't think it, I mean, I personally couldn't give two shits about a balanced view of the clan. Like, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like the Nazis, you sometimes you can do a Mel Brooks on them, make them yeah. look stupid. Other times <laughs> you can, you know, it's it's their victims that count, not the uh, not the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you've you've you're poking fun at the clan for me is uh, perfectly perfectly valid <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, anyone who goes. But they're not cannibals. Is maybe missing the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. but I mean, if that, you want the clan was... treated fairly, then uh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what exactly. do you think? But, when, uh, yeah, I, when I finished, when I finished the script um, and was sending it to producers and uh, other filmmakers just to get their opinion on, you know, was I crossing the line too much with, you know, certain things and. Uh, it was really it was in a rewrite that we decided to make uh, the, the the opinion was that I should make the clan a bit more monstery you know a bit more supernatural that they're cannibals with sharp teeth rather mm-hmm. than just the clan just to lift the film from being sort of realism to being a little bit more uh, supernatural a little bit more fantasy you know, yeah. not leaning too heavily. But then actually when we got to set and I saw everything come to life, um, that kind of went out the window a little bit. And so you do see in the film, some of the clan members have like sharp monster teeth. Yeah. Um, but but generally the clan, uh, I kind of just fell into doing the just the authentic thing. So it's kind of, it, it ends up falling a little bit in the middle actually. Um but yeah, that was really the only the only response and change that I made to the script, aside from oh, yeah, what's yeah. on the screen now. Well, that's a, that's a rich tradition, sort of cannibal hillbillies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so yeah, so it's it's a horror trope we all understand, and um, yeah. in a weird way, like Nazi uniforms, KKK costumes look brilliant, <laughs> yeah. which is I guess, <laughs> which is I guess is they they scare you, which is yeah, which is what they're supposed to do. Um, so so seeing them on screen as a baddie is uh is you know that you know they know what they're doing when they when they wear those sort of satanic robes and scare the Jesus yeah. out of people yeah and the, crosses, for god's sake <laughs> even even just on set looking through the camera the imagery was just very suddenly striking mm. to see you know a, a crowd of people in robes you know coming at the camera it just immediately it just uh it, it was just striking and kind mm. of yeah it's it's hard to describe it it's comparing it to kind of like nazis on film it's all you know there's the whole subgenre isn't there of uh you know nazi zombies and yeah, you know, yeah. Nazi horror and stuff which is kind of strange but it is still like a shocking image mm-hmm. um there's kind of a little bit terrifying and it was it was difficult actually to get to convince extras in Tennessee to cut. It was mostly like friends and family and anyone we yeah. could sort of talk into it to come and get into the robes because it's a, I didn't realize quite what a touchy subject it still is well, uh, yeah. over in Tennessee. But I mean, the, the KKK are still active, uh, not very far from where we were filming, yeah. which is just shocking. Um, yeah. and I always say, I cannot believe they're still, they're still a legal entity. When you look at what 10,000 people they killed in this in yeah. the 20th century and they're still a legal entity. Um, but yeah, I mean, were you worried at any point that because obviously you're mocking them, 
and making them look bad. Well, I, <laughs> that well, they I, might get some good old boys coming round or. <laughs> well, I think I think that's maybe why I had a little bit of difficulty convincing uh, people to come and get involved and just get into the clan outfits um, and sort of uh, play the characters because there was this sort of there was this sort of fear of one being you know what if in a behind the scenes picture you saw their face and then that ended up on facebook or something you know there's all of that sort of stuff and there was a little bit of talk about you know uh what if we get you know hate mail from you know racist people and kkk supporters but then that is kind of the whole point of the film is it's a total fuck you to all those people oh Um, yeah yeah it, it couldn't be more i couldn't have rubbed it more in their face uh, with the horrific things that happen to these yeah. know, racist clan members. So I guess that's the point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, uh, I don't think any. I don't think you've got anything to worry about um, anyone mistaking it for a pro-clan <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're stupid people anyway, but then when you've... You just sort of put them in those clothes, but then you show... When you see them up close... They look ridiculous, mm. so that's kind yeah. of the, that's kind of half the fun. They're kind of terrifying and ridiculous. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, it, it is yeah, actually also, because they're white. The blood shows up really well. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> and um, when they've got those hoods on, they actually are terribly designed because nobody can see where they're going. Yeah, it kind of like every, every time I was directing scenes with all the extras in the in the clan robes mm. it was like the scene in Django Unchained where they're all complaining that they can't see out of the oh, wow, yeah. on their head because nobody could see where they were going so you've got you know 15 people wandering around with flaming torches and they're all kind of bumping into each other and wandering in the wrong direction so it actually it gave a little bit of a light-heartedness to filming those scenes because we were all cracking up and uh, everyone was kind of in hysterics because people were just, no one could see what they were doing or where they were going. Uh, And it's just like, you wonder how any of these people could ever have seen out of these stupid masks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess in reality, they didn't wear them that often. They, uh, (laughs) people they were coming after, (laughs) they saw their faces, but um, Mm. yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, Obviously, it would have been a relevant thing anyway, but has it been strange that... When did, when did you shoot this? We shot this in May last year. So before before Black Lives Matter kind of got going and yeah. and all that. But now now this movie's going to have a real... You know, it's a, obviously it's a small part of the huge, huge thing that's going on on the planet. But yeah. it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be received in a different way by everybody. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it, for me and my and the producers and the investors and even you know the cast and crew. It, it's a top question on our mind at the moment, really, because um, obviously, yeah, when we shot it, uh, obviously all the racial issues in the film they've they've always been topical. It's always been a huge issue, but for Black Lives Matter to have come right into the limelight in mm. the last sort of few months and now you know you you can't go on social media without seeing it everywhere mm. um so now it's really really topical and this is a film that is potentially controversial it could potentially rub people up the wrong way um and in fact i mean we are still at the moment trying to find 
uh, a sales company to represent it and a distributor to represent mm -hmm. it. And I've been to a lot of my usual contacts. And my feeling is that because of the racial issues and, and within the film, just like the, the whole uh, the whole topic of the film, mm -hmm. um, you know, it does at the end of the day have the KKK in it. It does at the end of the day have uh, African-American characters being tortured by the KKK and racist language and stuff like that. I, I feel like probably they fear this could be too sensitive an issue or it could backfire on them in some way. Mm -hmm. And we, and as of right now, we still don't have, we still haven't agreed to go with a sales agent, mm -hmm. you know? So, so it's actually, I think had, had we approached all the salespeople back when we shot the film in May last year, mm -hmm. I think we would have one of the top horror companies uh, embracing the film by now. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm kind of holding out because I feel strongly about what we all made. You know, I feel like it is, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a low budget B movie, but it does feel more special than my other films to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm kind of just holding out to see uh, who, yeah. who is going to pick it up and hopefully someone good because it, it's a horror movie coming out in this climate, which is anti-racist with three African-American leads in the horror genre, that's not a common thing. No, uh, no. And, it, and it, tackles, it tackles racism head on in some ways, you know. So I think it's the perfect film for any company to be putting out now if they're willing to sort of take the gamble. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I almost think if you, get, um, if you get, I mean, there are so many people with opinions you can't believe they hold. Um, yeah. But if you get one of those people to complain about your film, <laughs> yeah. uh, then uh, maybe that'll give it the nudge because because uh, <laughs> it will rub up it will rub up idiots the wrong way um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine um, yeah. yeah yeah get, get Fox News get hold of it um, you'll, be, <laughs> you'll be well away <laughs> but uh, you know Trump's daddy was in the clan so yeah you, <laughs> <laughs> you're hanging you're hanging clansmen from beams in barns so exactly. uh, which is a which is you know grim like i said at the top of the interview it's uh gleefully unpleasant but you know it's striking as well i mean that was one of the that was one of the key images that i wanted to put in the film is yeah you know, every every kkk film we always see it always ends with the black characters being hung mm. you know so yeah. i wanted uh kind of as a trophy my characters to hang a clansman by the neck from the front of the ranch. Yeah. Uh, and to keep that there for, you know, the whole ending of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they, they didn't in, uh, I'm trying to remember in Watchmen, the HBO, they had the, mm. the clan, didn't they? But I think the guy who got hanged wasn't in his, wasn't in his, in his silly costume when he, uh, right, right. When he got hanged, but yeah. Mm. Um, but I'm trying to remember, but yeah, but, but that whole, I mean, there was a, I think there was a work of art, not a couple, three, few years ago, which was, which was like a whole bunch of hanged clown. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It was clowns with, it was clowns in clown shoes with, with, with clown hoods on. And there were, yeah. and they, this artist just hanged them all through like a mass lynching of yeah, yeah. clan clowns. But yeah, but it's a, it's a striking image. And I think, and I, th I, th I think if it gets the right distribution, it'll be a, it'll be one of those cult hits. 
that uh, Hope, horror, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that horror that you know this genre this genre goes for. Cause, yeah, because you know, obviously it's not for everybody, is it? But it's uh, <laughs> no. definitely. Uh, um, I assume it's got quite a late night slot at Grimfest. Um, because it's uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure actually, but it's a perfect sort of midnight movie type yeah. thing. In in normal in normal times, it would be the one when we've all they give us an hour to go to the bar, and then we go and watch like the yeah. gore in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, that's that's the slot it would be, that's the slot it should be in. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like sounds like your um your DVD uh your DVD um extras should be uh, have a did you film a lot of you filming? Have you got a good making of doc in there? Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I've got, um, I've got a bunch of promo videos where the cast discuss, you know, their, their response to the script and their response to, uh, acting with all the blood and gore and, um, their response to their own characters. Cause I, I, it's important. I thought it was very important that I give the cast, a voice about the uh, about the script and the topic itself, because even though I wrote the script, I'm kind of more interested in their opinion of it. You know, they are Americans themselves. They're from, you know, Alabama and Kansas mm-hmm. and Georgia. So they have very strong opinions of the mm-hmm. subject matter within the script. So I wanted to make sure uh, in the promo videos that we had their voice. Um, I'm not in the videos at all, but it's all led by the lead actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there is loads of behind-the-scenes material, um, so I'll probably edit that into some sort of a making-of documentary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no. It sounds. Uh, it sounds like a fascinating little, uh, a little, little package in the making there. So just before, <laughs> just before I leave you, what have you, um, as a big John Landis fan and American Wealth in London fan, I'm intrigued by what you, what you've got slated next on your list at IMDb, which is a werewolf in England. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, basically, that's what I've been working on for most of the year so far. Mm -hmm. So we shot a werewolf in England through January, February and March, Mm -hmm. um, and then went into lockdown. um, And over lockdown, I've edited on the 28th of September. Um, So that should be in all the regular DVD retailers, Asda and Morrison's and HMV, Amazon. and it's basically, uh, it's a Victorian era werewolf movie, mm-hmm. but it's a, it is a pure horror comedy. Um, usually my films have some element of humour to them, but this one has by far the most. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really a comedy, sort of uh, Evil Dead 2 inspired. Um, and when the werewolves show up, which there's six werewolves in the film, and everything's fully practical, it's just, it's absolutely, it goes absolutely bonkers. So it's kind of like if you enjoyed the carnage of Death Ranch with the KKK getting blown to pieces, yeah. I think this werewolf film is even more action-packed and even crazier because uh, because it's werewolves, you know, so they oh, do well, so much I'm, more damage. I'm a sucker for a werewolf. And uh, <laughs> you've got six of them. That's uh, Yeah. And, uh, and is it sort of a steampunky kind of gothic? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's very uh, it's a very sort of camp theatrical over the top style of gothic. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the the whole film is just is very over the top. Um, so yeah. if you're into that sort of stuff, like uh, it's almost cartoonish at times. Yeah. Um, if you're into that 
style of horror. It's certainly not naturalistic or gritty in any sort of way. But if you're into that sort of uh, camp theatrical gothic, then uh, you'll really enjoy it. And um, the the set we it's all set within a Victorian inn, and we actually built the inn from scratch uh, down in Cornwall uh, in a big warehouse. So absolutely everything in the film um, was, you know, created by us, you know, like all the wallpaper and the stairwell and the windows and the doors, which also meant when it came to having the werewolves, you know, charging through it, you could just destroy everything. Yeah. Um, so we ripped doors <laughs> off hinges. We smashed through windows. The place gets set on fire. It's just, we demolished it. So it was really good fun. That sounds amazing. Well, Cool. Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, and I hope we'll meet you. Well, I hope we'll meet you in the real world at some future. Yeah. At some future um, film festival. Yeah. yeah. Great to meet you. Yeah. Good to meet you too. Okay, everybody. So that was Ian's interview with Charlie Steed, writer director of Death Ranch, and uh, that's our final preview interview before Grimfest. So. Basically, Grimfest starts this week, possibly tomorrow, or even today when you're listening to this. Um, so head over to Grimfest.com right now and see if you can get some tickets because yeah. there's a lot of interesting films on offer. Is there anything else that you, you'd, you've you seen or that you, you've heard about? Because I know you haven't seen quite all the films, Ian, that you'd want to give a mention to as being kind of interesting. Um. Of the of of the films that I've uh, at Grimfest, um, I am I am Ren. Um, I inter- I interviewed um, uh, I interviewed the star of that for another publication. Um, maybe we can put a link at the end of this podcast. Um, yes, we that's, can. That's a, that's an Android. That's an Android. Uh, sort of Android. Is she an Android or is she actually? mentally unwell and is there some coercive control from her dodgy husband um it's a sort of uh polish stepford wives kind of thing um and okay that's, that's, that's definitely much more in the science fiction end of things than horror um which is really sounds good. quite interesting yeah um and we've also we've also there's also a bit of Lovecraft, which we're going to review um, with the Deep Ones. Yes, the Deep Ones. Yes, I'm intrigued by that. I've which, uh, which that. again, I've, uh, I've I've interviewed them, and they'll be uh, they'll they'll that be popping up on a different website, uh, maybe even today as we're speaking. But you and I and Kirsty, I think, are going to talk about that yeah. on this show once the the screening has actually passed. We'll review that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, um, uh, well, I'm not really allowed to say what my pick of the films that, that, that I have seen is. Um, I think that um, you can probably tell from the, the tone of the interviews. Yeah. Um, I think I, I saw at least three films that I was quite keen on and would definitely recommend that anybody sees. Um, and you can probably tell which those are. Um, if you listen, but all the films we've interviewed about um, on this show have been quite uh, interesting sounding movies. I think the one that I want to go for that I haven't seen, so this is not an, a recommendation or an endorsement, it's just me saying I'm interested in seeing it, is On Earth, because based on your interview with those guys, I think it sounds like a really um, 
Well, I don't really know what the idea of the movie is, but just the fact that they're using horror to kind of critique the situation with fracking in America and they're mm. using a star like Adrian Barbo, that's more or less solely to me. Yeah, and it just goes to show how varied Grimfest is, because at the other mm. end of it, you've got Death Ranch, which is which is kind of opposite in, the opposite end of the horror tone completely. It's splatter. <laughs> silliness with cannibalistic Ku Klux Klanners um and then we've also got teen teen sort of basically live live fortnights with triggered um, oh yes that was also a um, fright fest wasn't it that um, was at fright fest and I know Stella saw it and, and enjoyed yeah. it so yeah 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 no and that's good although it's kind of uh, it's South Africans pretending to be Americans right <laughs> but uh that happens now and again. That happens a lot, yes. Mm. But yeah, and uh, oh, and also, um, and also the Oak Room that we uh, we interviewed the people for. Uh, yes, I didn't see week. that movie, but based on your interview, it sounded really great, actually. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, yeah, just such a just such a wide, just thinking back, such a wide variety of things at Grimfest. So uh, well mm. done, Simeon and Rachel and. And, and Steve, yeah. And Steve. Yeah. Well, well um, done to everybody. Um, well done to the Grim First team, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be weird. Here's hoping we're back in the real world next year. Yeah, it's going to be odd not being able to go along and mingle with people, but let's all tune in and enjoy the collective experience um, and this digital festival. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly it's certainly got variety and breadth of content on its side, so we can certainly have a lot of conversations off the back of it, as if nothing else. And then next year, hopefully, touch wood, pray to God, all will be well, and we'll be able to once again have a, a live festival and, and gather in the multiplex mm-hmm. or wherever it might be to uh, to take part. Well, yeah. uh, that. That's been really interesting, Ian. Thank you so much for helping us with our previews for Grimfest and for furnishing us with so many fascinating interviews. <laughs> um, and um, and I'm really pleased that we've been able to do our part in a way in, in just publicising the festival just a bit because it is a really great festival every year, as well as, you know, all the... The, the little kind of non-festival events, the screenings and so on that Grim Up North organises in between Grimfests. There's always yeah. loads of great value stuff. Mm. So, and Grimfest TV, of course, which um, I've mentioned a few times, where you can see a lot of the short films and some of the features that they've had on Grimfest over the over recent years. So, um, I mean, this is what the twelfth year of Grimfest this year. I know it's crazy. So, yeah so um good on them it's a it's a real tradition and we're lucky to have it in manchester so i'm looking forward to it well thanks again ian thank you listeners um we'll be back to review some of these films on uh, friday i hope that you get to join in with the festival and, and watch some of them for yourselves in the meantime stay safe bye everyone you have been listening to And now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Ian Winterton and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks 
to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at and now pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>